Hebrews chapter 10. Um, in the New Testament, you see that, that Jesus, he did some amazing things in the New Testament. God done a lot of amazing things in the Old Testament. And then we have Jesus in the New Testament, which is God in flesh here. And as we've studied over, especially looking at uh, Acts like we did, but when we, we started looking at the disciples uh, last year, whenever it was, we were doing some Bible study, um, we got to see Jesus do some things that no man can do. We got to see him do some incredible things when it comes to uh, miracles, when he was he would raise the dead or he healed the blind or the lame, the, the, the dumb could talk, the deaf could hear, the blind could see. We see Jesus doing a lot of amazing things through his short 33 and a half years. He left the riches of heaven to become the sacrifice for our sins. When I think about what Jesus done when he was here, we kind of think about the miracles. But have you ever just thought, stopped and thought about leaving heaven to come to earth. That, to me, just says it all about who he is. It says a lot about his character. says a lot about his heart. It's proof that Jesus loves me. For him to leave heaven and come to earth means more to me than almost anything else I can imagine. The comforts of heaven. No, we talk about what heaven looks like and, and all that goes on in heaven. We go back, especially during funerals, we'll talk about no more, no more crying, no more weeping, no more tears. We talk about no more pain, no more sorrow. Those things, that's, that's great. We don't have to deal with that. We live forever, and we're in the presence of God forever, eternity. Jesus Christ left that for me and you. But he left it. He brought us, when he came down, he conquered his enemies, our enemies. He conquered them, which means he cleared a path for each one of us to have a relationship with the Father so that we too could have that peace. We too could have that home in heaven that he returned to. He cleared it out for each one of us. And then on top of all that, he brought us closer to the Father. Because there was a gap. There was a great divide between us and God. And Jesus Christ himself bridged that gap so that we could have a direct relationship with the Father. That's what leaving heaven done for us. That's what le him leaving heaven, that's what it done for each one of us. He forgives our sins. He and not only does he forgive our sins, this is the best part though. And I always say this, but I mean it. He forgives our sins, and I appreciate that so much. But the fact that he forgets about them, that's, that's what tickles me to death. Because we're used to people remembering. If I was to go up to Conley and say, Conley, will you forgive me where I failed you? Would you forgive me where I've done you wrong? Conley say, yes. Conley's going to remember that, though. So whenever we have a conversation, sometime during that conversation, something might remind him about what I might have done to him in the past. See, God doesn't do that. God forgets about it. He tosses that out. So once he's forgiven us, that's it. He's forgot about it, and he's moved on. He's done all this for us. Don't you think that we ought to live our lives to a higher standard for Jesus because of what he's done for us? We should 
live a, a life, a higher standard than any family member that, that doesn't know Jesus. We need to live our lives at a higher standard than any neighbor who is, has, that is lost and does not have a relationship with Jesus. We need to live our lives at a higher standard than any friend that we might have that does not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. We need to live at a higher standard because of what he has done for us. We need to remember what he's done for us and set that our, our, our goals higher, set our standards higher for him. But we don't. We, I think we can all agree that Jesus did some mighty, incredible things in 33 and a half years. Now, we know there's a gap in there from 12 to 33 that we don't know what he done. It don't matter. It don't matter. It don't matter one bit. He was here, and he done it for us, whatever it was. With all that in mind, do you think that it's time that we live a closer life to Jesus? If you just take into consideration just a handful of things that he has done for us, don't you think we should live a life closer to him, nearer to him, closer to thee? We should. You're probably thinking, how in the world can I do that? How do, how do I even know that I'm living a life close to Jesus? Well, what we're going to read here in Hebrews is going to help us. It's going to help us. It's going to help draw us closer. We know what the Holy Spirit does. It draws us into salvation, but it doesn't just draw us to salvation and then leave us. Jesus left us the Holy Spirit so that we would have a comforter while he's in the presence of God in heaven. He left us a piece of him here on earth to help us draw us closer to him and to know that he's still a part of our lives. He didn't just love us and leave us. He loved us and stayed with us through the Holy Spirit. So we're going to get a little bit more direction on how we can live a, a, a higher standard life as a Christian for Jesus and represent him. If you've got your Bibles, uh, stand with me just a moment. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Clayton learned how to count. He can say two. That's what he's doing. 1019 says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, and having a high, pri and high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promise. Let's pray. Lord God, again this morning, we thank you for your word. Thank you for that promise. Thank you for that assurance that you've given us. Thank you for the peace that you have given each one of us that have put our faith and trust in you, the peace that passeth all understanding. God, we thank you for that. And for the hope of the days to come, for the hope and the blessed assurance that we have as Christians and knowing that we are secure in our faith, we're secure in our relationship with you, we are secure in our salvation, we cannot lose that. Father God, we can come to you at any point in time. We thank you for tearing down that veil and bridging that gap between us and heaven. And Father, I thank you so much for your son Jesus Christ for allowing us to have a mediator between the two of us where we can come directly to him 
with all our troubles, our burdens, our cares, our problems, our sorrows, whatever may be on our hearts. But Lord, it's th I'm thankful that we can come to you for forgiveness. Anytime we fail you, we thank you for that. And I pray, God, today as, as uh, we, we look a little bit closer at your word, that you would draw us a little bit closer to you. Lord God, I pray that we'd come nearer to you than we've ever been before. I listen in your son's name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. Yep, I'm going to have to do it. Y'all don't fuss at me. It's hot up here. A lot of hot air up here. First thing we're going to look at this morning is you, if you have a good relationship, if you have a close relationship, if, you have, if your relationship with Jesus Christ is strong, the Bible tells us that you'll spend more time running to him than you will spend running from him. If you have a relationship with God like you're supposed to, that's who you're going to run to. Ain't that what kids do? Ain't that what children do? When you're in a time of need, you run to the parent. Clayton does that with us. The girls can do that sometimes. I'm sure these over here do that too. When there's a time of need, and when I say time, when we think about kids, a time of need, they might be hungry, they might need their diaper changed, or they might have a boo-boo that needs to be kissed, something like that. So these kids are going to come to their parents. They run to their parents. As the father, God expects us to run to him too. He wants us to run to him in times of trouble, in times of need, but also in times of celebration, in times of blessing. He wants us to come to him then too, not just when we want something or when we need something. But when we're thankful for what he has done for us, when he has blessed us with whatever it might be, he wants us to come to him. Hebrews 10.22 says, again, let us draw near. Let us draw near. I love that right there. We all, going back in the Old Testament, something we've all read as kids is, is knowing the great fish. No, I'm so sorry. Jonah and the great fish. <laughs> it's going to be one of those days. <laughs> like when somebody asks you how many animals did Moses put on the ark, you just say none. It was Noah. You can use that anytime. Or what kind of, uh, what kind of man was uh, Boaz before he got married? He was ruthless. Some of y'all get it. That's not even part of the sermon. That's pretty good, though. <laughs> but we had Jonah. What did Jonah do? The exact same thing that every one of us done. And almost every preacher that you'll ever meet is, is a top of Jonah. They ran, and they ran really fast. Jonah was trying to get away, so he went to the bottom of the boat to get away from God. He hid from him. The same with, and again, just a lot of preachers will say that they did the same thing. They ran from God. They tried to hide from God somewhere. Somehow they tried to hide from him, which doesn't make a lick of sense because you can't hide from him. You can't get away from him. If he's called you, you're called, and he's going to use you. But he ran from him. You go into the New Testament, and we look at the rich young ruler. He went to Jesus, and he said, I will come to you on your ter or on my terms. That's a lot of gall right there to come to Jesus and say, I will come to you, but on my terms. And Jesus rejected those terms. And he said, bye. He turned from God. Didn't go to God. He came to Jesus. But he was going to come to God on his terms. And Jesus said, no, it don't work that way. You come on my terms. There are maybe people here today that instead of drawing closer to God, they're pushing him away. 
and, and we have seasons in our lives where we do just that. God has taken someone from you, and you're kind of bitter towards him for that, and, and we push him away. Maybe something happened in your life, and, and you're mad at God for not stopping whatever took place. And so we have pushed him away. Instead of running to him in a time of need, a time of loss, a time of tribulation, a time of burden, instead of running to him like he's asked us to, we're running away from him. If you have the relationship with Jesus that he wants you to have with him, you will not run away from him. You will run to him. You will run to him when you are broken, when you are torn down, when your heart's been ripped out of your chest and you can't cry no more, you are to run to him for that comfort, for that peace, for that loving arm to be wrapped around you. He wants you to run to him, but you've got to have a relationship with him. You've got to have that relationship. That's how you know you got one. At the drop of a hat, when something bad happens, you go to the Father. When someone is that you love dearly is taken away from you, instead of running to the world, you run to the Father. And you ask him for help. You ask him for peace and comfort. You ask him for understanding, which, you know, a lot of times you don't get the side of heaven. And then when you get to heaven, you don't care. It don't matter anymore. You're there with him. But we need to run to him. You run away from him instead of running to him. There are folks that just flat out ignore God, though, as well. They believe that they can handle their problems on their own. They don't want to bother God with their situation. They said, God, I've got this problem going on, but I'll, I'll take care of it. I know you're busy. I can't stand it when somebody says, I know he's busy. He don't want to hear me. He does want to hear you. You can't overwhelm him. I know that. He wants to, don't use the, that's a cop-out right there. Don't use the excuse, he's too busy. I know the world's falling apart right now, and everybody and their brothers calling on God to help. He's too busy to deal with my little problem. No, he's not. He can handle your little problem. He can handle your big problem. He can handle your medium-sized problem. It don't matter. He can handle it. He said, come to me. Come to me. You've made a mess, and you can't clean it up, but I sure can. Come to me. Don't run from me. But these people that try to do it on their, se- uh, on their own by themselves, they're just as guilty for running from God as the ones that are actually running from God because they're trying to do it on their own. He wants all of us to draw near. It says, let us, us, that's everybody. He says, let us draw near. Let us draw near, every one of us. Whether we're having a good day or a bad day, draw near. You might be in mourning, draw near. You might be rejoicing, draw near. Whatever the problem is in your life, he's telling you flat out, draw near. Come to me, draw nearer to thee, to me. Come to me. Rejoice with me. I rejoice with you. Secondly, don't flip-flop between God and the world. All right, you can curl your toes up because I'm getting ready to stomp them. It's going to hurt too. Look at this verse again. Hebrews 10.22 again says, Let us draw near with a true heart. With a true heart. Have you ever watched fish after you catch them? What's fish do after you catch it? Flops around, don't it? Hazel's up here doing it in the corner. <laughs> it flops around. Ethan, you ever caught a fish that flops? After you pull it out of the water, does it flop around? Yeah, I bet you can. <laughs> Just like that. And then after so long, what does it do? 
After, after it flops around for a while, what happens? It, no, you don't have to dance. It dies, don't it? If it's out of water, it, yeah, <laughs> it does that gulping thing, trying to get air or water. They flop around until there is no life left in them. That's how fish works, out of water. Christians that flip-flop are draining their spiritual life. Fish out of water, moving around, it's draining life. It's using its muscles. It's, it's, it's uh, any oxygen that might be left in its body as it's flip-flopping around. It's killing itself. A Christian that flip-flops in its life, in their life, is killing itself spiritually. You've got to figure out what you're going to do. It won't be long until they look more like a, the world and less like a Christian. The world is dead to the things of God. The world has no clue what God can do for them. And so when you go back and forth between the world and God, that's flip-flopping, and you're going to start leaning more towards the world than you are towards God. Because it looks like the world can offer you better things, but we know for a fact God can offer us better things. Who are the flip-floppers? So we, we call those guys that are people the, the ones with a divided loyalty. They look really good on Sunday mornings. They come in, and, and everything goes good on Sundays, and they look great. God is first in their life on Sundays. But on Mondays, they go back to the world. On Mondays, they go back to the way that they left it on Saturday. They flip-flop. God is first unless there's something else they want to do. And, and, and the Bible calls them a hypocrite. It calls them hypocrites. They put on a good show uh, Sunday morning, but during the week they go back to the ways of the world. We're all like that. We're all guilty of that at some point. Something's going to pop up. Somebody is going to say or do something at work, and, and you're going to kind of get drawn into it when you know you shouldn't. We'll flip-flop around every now and then, but you honestly can't tell them apart from the world. They're uncommitted because you can't tie them down to anything. They're uncommitted because they don't want God, they don't want church to mess up their plans the rest of the week. They can't join church functions because they need to, the freedom to rove around. Psalms 84.10 says, For a day in the courts is better than a thousand. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of the wickedness. Amen to that. Listen to that. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. There's a lot of tents of wickedness. There's a lot of tents of wickedness up on top of <laughs> McCray Meadows right now. There's a lot of tents of wickedness in this world right now. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than to dwell or be in the midst of the wickedness of this world. And I mean, this world is wicked. There's a, the devil has pitched a lot of tents out here in this world right now. There, the devil has got tents all over the place. I'd much rather be standing inside that doorway and worshiping my God, honoring my God, loving my God with y'all as I had to be anywhere else. What a blessing it is. Those who understand what God has done for them are not flip-floppers. If you know for a fact that God has saved you and you are secure, if you have a relationship with him, if you have that in your heart, you won't want to flip-flop. 
because you know the world can't give you what God can give you. The world does not offer you anything that's good. Only God can give you what's, what's great, what's good. Th- these people that have accepted Jesus and have that relationship with him, they have a true heart. They have a servant's heart. They have, they have a, a sincere heart. They have a heart that's pleasing to God. And so they wouldn't want to go back into the world. They wouldn't want to dabble in the world. They're going to stay with what God has done for them and, and who he is. The third thing, this one right here, the, the words, it can't be done, can't come out of your mouth. If you have a relationship with Jesus and you have your standards set really high, those words will not come out of your mouth. It can't be done because we know for a fact that it can be done. We know for a fact that all things are possible through God. Hebrews, again, verse 22 says, Let us draw near with a true heart, now listen to this, in full assurance of faith. And not just in assurance, but in full assurance. That's 100% assurance. Fully understanding and knowing who God is and what he can do for you. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Having faith doesn't mean that we're mindless. A lot of people look at us as Bible thumpers or, or Jesus lovers or whatever you want to call us. That's fine. That's, I'm, I'll go with it. That's what I am, I guess. But to think that we're, we're mindless people, having faith isn't some blind leap into the dark. Being a Christian does not mean that we lose the ability to think. We just think differently. We all think, but we think differently now. Now we don't think up here. We think down here. We use the Holy Spirit, and we allow the Holy Spirit to make those decisions for us. When we think, we have somebody helping us think. When we think, we're thinking what's pleasing to God. What would God do? What would honor him? That's the way we think now. We don't need to be thinking what, what, what would my mom or my dad think or what would my brother or my sister think. Now we're thinking what would God think about this? What I'm about to do, is it going to please him or is it going to disappoint him? That's the Holy Spirit, and it's going to answer real fast and tell you what's good and what's bad, what's right and what's wrong. It doesn't mean that we no longer look at the facts. I think I look at the facts a lot, a lot more now as a Christian. I look a lot closer at the facts that are before me. It says that we know what Jesus can do no matter what the facts are. No matter what's been laid in front of you, we know what Jesus can do. When the doctors say it can't be done, we know Jesus can do it. When the social worker says it can't be done, they can't have a home, they can't find a family that will love, and love on them and take them in, we can look to God and know that it, it can be done. When they say you cannot have a baby, we look to God and, they, and, and know that it can be done. So we cannot say those words as a Christian that believes in Jesus Christ and has a relationship with him. We cannot utter the words, it can't be done, because we know a living, loving God that can do it and will do it in his time and in his will. Hebrews eleven six tells us, but without faith is it impossible to please him. Everything, when we go into our day, we have to go into our day with faith. I mean 100% faith in Jesus Christ. When we get up in the morning, 
We've got to have faith that he's going to sustain us through the day with food, with oxygen, with water, with shelter, with safety, with love, with grace, with patience, with mercy. The Bible says that he's long-suffering. We might need to be a little bit long-suffering nowadays. But we have to go into our days on faith and in faith of knowing that he is in charge and that he's going to take care of us. I know what he's done in my life. I've, I've seen firsthand what he's done or can do in my life. And y'all have got your own thing going on with him right now. You know what he's done in your life. I trust that he will do the impossible again in my life and in your life. I trust that. He's not done. It's not a one and done. We got, we got proof over here in the corner because wasn't supposed to have Paisley. Got Paisley. Wasn't supposed to have Clayton. Got Clayton. That's, that's him proving the impossible can be done. It can be done, and it will be done. Folks, we need that kind of faith to survive in this world because you're not going to find anything in this world that you can put your faith in that will sustain you. There is nothing. You put your faith in Jesus, and he will sustain you. Faith and hope are tied together. I can't imagine what life would be like without hope, without faith or hope. And I personally, I will say this right now, I personally need that faith because I know that I'm not in control. There's something that we have to do as believers, is we have to admit we are not in control. Who in here is a control freak? Who has to have the reins? <laughs> There's hands. Hey, you've admitted it. I raise my hand. I want to be in control. Friday, <laughs> Friday. This is how dumb I am when it comes to being in control. Friday, I decided to drive a van on, on Friday. Up here for the Highland Games. That's, that's dumb. I did it anyway because... I want to make sure it's done right. We've never done it before at the office, so I want to make sure it's done right. Do I trust the drivers? Absolutely, I trust the drivers. Just not the people around them because somebody backed into one of our vans last night. I'm sure there was no substance involved in that. We'll talk about that. But as a Christian, we have to understand that we are not in control. He is. Just let it go. Let him have it. Fourth thing. Living for Jesus means we are no longer carrying around the past. If we are truly living for Jesus, if we are truly living for the King, if we truly have that relationship with God like we're supposed to, we will not hang on to the past. We will let it go. There is no future in your past. The future lies in that relationship with Jesus Christ. That's where your future lies. Don't worry about the way things were. Don't worry about the addictions that you might have or the, the mistakes that you may have made in the past don't worry about those things because the bible tells us look at verse 22 one more time the whole thing let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water 
don't worry about your past because he's telling us if you're living in the past, you have no future. Your future is in Jesus Christ. He has washed you clean through his blood. He has cleaned you up through his blood. You have got to have that relationship with him, though, for that to happen. One of the first things you stop doing when you stop living for Jesus is you stop confessing your sins. If you've ever went for a spell and not confessed your sins, how do you feel? That's a, that's a bad feeling. When you have those mornings or those evenings or that time during the day where you just sit, you and God, and you talk it out and you ask for forgiveness, you feel better. But if you start hoarding them things up and you stop having a conversation with Jesus and you stop asking for forgiveness, as soon as you stop confessing your sins, you start building up guilt. If you haven't asked for forgiveness, the burdens and the guilt just keep piling on your shoulders and weighing down your heart, and it makes you a bitter person. And he's asking us to come to him and ask for forgiveness, and he's going to forgive us, and he's going to forget it, and you're going to feel better. Think of asking for forgiveness like cleaning your house. It has to be done. Washing your car, cleaning your car, it has to be done. If you don't ask for forgiveness, the guilt's going to build up. If you don't wash your car or your truck, the dirt's going to build up. If you don't clean your house, it's going to get cluttered and the dirt's going to build up. Ethan, if you don't brush your teeth, what happens? He's got green teeth. That's, that's why I asked him about it. See, bring them up here. Just I want everybody to see what happens when you don't brush your teeth. Number one, they fall out. And number two, they turn green. Look at them. Look at that. You get green teeth if you don't brush your teeth. Yeah. Okay, you can take them out. Don't put them back in your mouth. If you don't clean up, it gets dirty, and it, gets, it weighs you down. The teeth, your teeth. If you don't brush your teeth, what, what happens to your teeth, Tabitha? They build up plaque and decay, gingivitis. They start to rot. might have to get filled or pulled out. That's what happens when you don't take care of your teeth, your hands. You wash your hands. Why do you wash your hands? So that the germs and the dirt do not build up on your hands and make you sick. You want to take care of yourself. You wash your hands. You clean them up. Cleaning should be a part of your everyday routine. You get up in the morning, you brush your teeth, you take care of yourself. You go to bed at night, you brush your teeth, you take a shower, whatever, you take care of yourself. The same goes for your spiritual well-being as well. You have to clean up. You have to clean up. You have to ask for forgiveness. You have to ask for him to forgive your sins. You have to ask him. That's part of cleaning up. That's part of being a Christian is asking for that forgiveness. Psalms 32.5 tells us, I acknowledge my sin unto thee. Listen to that. I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Selah. Did you hear what he said? The psalmist said, I asked for forgiveness, and he forgave me. I asked him to forgive my iniquities, and he forgave my iniquities. I asked God to forgive me where I failed him, my shortcomings, where I have upset him, I have burned him, I have done something to him. The psalmist said, I asked for forgiveness, 
and he forgave me. That psalmist knew that he had to clean himself up. As a Christian, we have to acknowledge that we can still get dirty and we still need forgiveness to get cleaned up. We have to remember that. If we are the Christians that we're supposed to be, we would enjoy spending more time with God. If you've ever had a, a break from God, you'll know that it's not a good thing. If you've, ever, if you've ever got mad at him and just said, I need a break, you know that's not a good thing. You put that gap back in there, and you start missing your blessings. You start missing your conversation. You start missing that time that you have with God. You start missing it. And, so, and you need that. You've got to have that time. As a true believer, we enjoy spending time with God and not having that separation between us. As a true believer, we're not flip-flopping between Jesus and something else. As a Christian, we don't want anything that the world can offer us. We reject whatever the world has to offer us, and we accept what Jesus has to offer us. And he's offered a lot of stuff for us. But the one thing that he's offered for each one of us is salvation. He's offered that to each one of us for free. No cost to you. He paid it all. He's offered that to you. As a Christian, as a true Christian, we are believing God can handle the impossible. I, sometimes it takes... I would say a great miracle in your life to realize what he can do for you. Sometimes it takes a great miracle. Hunter's a great miracle. I, I mean, I, can, I, I think I can say that. Hunter's a great miracle. We, we see where parents can't have kids, and then all of a sudden, they, after years and years, they have a child. Or we see, like Mary, in her liver, uh, Coach Maggard, his wife, Brittany, the other coach Maggard, the Maggards. Kidney transplant. Been needing it for, for years. Finally found a match in her stepdad while he's in Iraq. And it's, it's a perfect match. It takes, it takes things like that in our lives to realize that God can handle the impossible. And that we know that when God's in control, that it's not impossible. It might be impossible with man, but we know for a fact that God can handle it. But sometimes we just need that proof. Sometimes we need that confirmation. Sometimes. Not always. As a Christian, we're experiencing the blessings of not carrying around guilt. As a Christian, it is a blessing to be able to give God your burdens and not carry it around with you. It's a blessing to actually share burdens with other Christians. I know it sounds bad, but it's the truth. Because as a Christian, we can't carry this stuff around by ourselves. And God wants it all. But it sure is nice to have brothers and sisters that you can turn to and have them help you share the load. And help you bear that burden. And that burden might be a lost son or a lost daughter, a lost friend or coworker. That's a burden. And so you take that back to your church. You take that back to your brothers and your sisters. And you allow them to share that burden because what are they going to do with it? They're going to pray for it, pray over it, pray with you. 
and then you're going to watch God do the impossible. That is a blessing. That's the standard of a person committed to God. That's the standard. We, we have a standard that we need to follow. Jesus set that standard. Do you meet that standard, or is there, a, is there a, a correction that needs to be made in your life? Do you meet that standard as a Christian, or do you need to fix some things before you get there? I know we've all got a little bit of work to do because we're not perfect. God's standard was perfect. We can strive for that standard. We've got a lot of work to do. We've got a lot of work to do. Some of us. I got a lot of I got a lot of work to do. Strive for that standard. Strive for God's standard. Work, work, work. What's that song you sing, Conley? Work for the Yep. We don't know when he's coming, so just work your tail off till he gets here. Make yourself a better person. Make yourself a better per make yourself a better Christian. Make yourself a better brother or sister, but make yourself better in all that you do for him. We've got a lot of work to do. Stand with me. We're going to close out. Work, work, work. You ready to work, Ethan? Do you know what that is? Okay. We're going to put you to work. All right. Jonathan, would you dismiss us, please, sir?